Would you like that gift wrapped? Yes, please. Oh, I'm so sorry. Good morning. It is good to have you here in Bellingham. Those of you watching online or those in Boca Raton or in Skagit, good to have you joining us as well. I don't know how I can follow up Kip's announcements. That's just out of control, out of control. Uh, it, it is good to, to have you here. And I just want to say real quick, uh, one of the things I absolutely love about being a part of Cornwall Church is just what what an outpouring of generosity that this church shows over and over again. On Wednesday night, over 800 of you uh, descended upon the mall for Cornwall at the Mall, bought literally thousands and thousands of dollars worth of toys, donated those to the toy store so that yesterday families in our community that are, are maybe struggling financially could buy brand new toys for their children at a greatly, dramatically reduced rate. And what a, what a gift that was to our community. And then for the next couple weeks, there will be thousands of you who bring in literally tons of food for the food banks, and I'm just so grateful for that. If you're not planning on doing that, let me put guilt and shame on you. Uh, Jesus said, when, <laughs> when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat, so take that one to the bank, all right? We do this not just uh, for our community, though that's a part of it. We do it for Jesus as well. So, so grateful and thanking you in advance for your participation in helping out the local food banks here in, in Whatcom and in Skagit counties. You know, when someone is in a time of need, has a, a great deal of needs or even desires, it's easy to know what to get them to help them out because there's such a great need. But I don't know about you. I know I have someone on, uh, more than one person on my list. Any of you, no pointing, no saying of names, any of you have someone on your list that's really hard to buy for? They're just people that are just difficult to buy for. And there's multiple different reasons. Maybe because they don't really have a lot of interest. And so it's like you get them that, but they're like, okay, that's, that's fine. Put it on the shelf with everything else. Or maybe it's because whatever you get them, historically, they always take it back anyway, or they re-gift it. You get it the next year back and say, I, I recognize this. Or maybe it's someone who just, they just get whatever they want or whatever they need for themselves. So you finally get a great idea. This would be great for her. And then she just bought it last Thursday. Or, that, you know, this is, I finally found the gift that'll be great for him, but you, from then you find out he already has three of those. Just very difficult to buy for someone who has everything. Now, you take that whole concept and extrapolate it out exponentially, and you come up with a verse like this out of Psalm 24 that says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. You want to talk about someone that's hard to buy a gift for? It's someone who owns the whole world. Because anything you give to them, he already gave to you. I mean, who has ever given to the Lord that, that, that he should repay the Lord? It's hard to find a gift for someone who owns the whole world and everybody in it. Last weekend, Pastor Kip kicked off our new series, Finest Gifts, and Pastor Brian did in, in Skagit, in talking about the gifts that were given to this one who owns the whole world. In a very familiar part of the Christmas story, 
familiar, very familiar section of it, of the three wise men, the kings, the magi, whatever you want to call them. And it's based on this verse out of Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. It says, on coming to the house, they, these magi, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. The worship preceded their giving. They worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and of myrrh. Now this is a very familiar piece of the story. Most of you have heard this before. In fact, many of you have lived this in your children's uh, Christmas pageant when you were kids. If you got the role as the wise men, that was a cool role. Because the shepherds, as you remember, they had to wear those potato sacks that were made out of burlap. But the wise men got to wear bathrobes and have helmets on or these crowns on. And the three wise men in our church, one would come with a bag representing gold. One would come with, its, it was either a shoe box or a cigar box that had been spray painted gold and had the, the life bedazzled out of it. Someone just went off with a glue gun and glitter on this box. And then the third one in our church brought, some of you remember, these plastic eggs that Legs pantyhose used to come in. So remember those things? And so he would come bringing this thing like it's some priceless Fabergé and bring it and lay it down there at, at the, the manger. Now, as familiar as this story is to you, the reality is this. For the vast majority of us sitting in this room or even watching online, if it weren't for this one verse out of Scripture, if it weren't for Matthew 2.11, most of us would have never heard of and would definitely never use the words frankincense and myrrh. Gold, yes, but frankincense and myrrh. You think about it. Where would you, now again, for the most part, where would we ever have used these words if it weren't for this verse? And as familiar as it is, as familiar as it was with the, the childhood Christmas pageant, with the Christmas story, how it just rolls off our tongue, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, even while it's familiar, there may be still a bit of mystery about this. Now, as we've looked at this finest gifts, last week, Pastor Kip and Pastor Brian talked about gold. They got the easy one. I get stuck with frankincense and myrrh. So we talk about this frankincense, and while we use that word, there might be some mystery. And maybe you've seen one of the iterations or one of the versions of a cartoon similar to this. Right, we picked up the gold and the myrrh, and what on earth is that? Because this frankincense and Frankenstein sounds very similar, we, we might not even know what frankincense is. In fact, again, outside of the Christmas story, who knows what frankincense is? You might remember incense. You hear the word incense, and it takes you back to the head shop that you visited in the 60s and 70s. That's all good. That record shop you went to, the incense, that part, and all the smell that went around it. Which, by the way, the sense of smell is a very, very powerful, powerful sense. You can smell something, and it does something. It, it, it brings back a memory, takes you back to a certain place. It, it invokes some response within you, that, that power of smell. I mean, for me, if I smell cotton candy, it takes me to the Linden Fair. It doesn't matter what month of the year it is. I smell cotton candy. I'm thinking skee-ball. I'm thinking tilt-a-whirl. I'm thinking the bovine barn. Maybe for you, you're thinking about that handsome young man in the 4-H barn. Whatever it might be, you smell that cotton candy. You ever drive past Anthony's, and they have that alder plank going in the air, and it just like takes you back. For me, it takes me to, to when we take our daughter there for her birthday, and just that, that alder plank salmon. Have you ever drove in pa driven past Hagen's when they're making a big batch of fried chicken? You just smell it. Okay, one word. Bacon. <laughs> the smell just does. And it's not just food either. The smell of, of fresh cut grass on a, on a spring night. 
the, the smell of a, of, a, of a campfire on a summer evening on a camping trip, the smell of burning leaves on a, on a, a fall Saturday morning, it just takes you a place. My dad, uh, just this week, we celebrated the 10th anniversary of his, of his passing. I cannot smell aqua velva or Old Spice without thinking about my dad and my childhood. It just takes me there. And some of those smells for you, you may remember those too, especially if you're my age. He's wearing English leather, and she smells of love's baby soft and Bonnie Bell lip smackers. Or maybe it was in college and you're lathered up with, with chaps and she's wearing Charlie. Or the 90s. Guys, you've got eternity on and she's wearing poison. Or maybe you bathed yourself in axe. It's just those smells that take you back. And throughout history, in the, the world of, of followers of God, there have been these smells that would, would, would resonate, would take people back. Some of you maybe raised in the Catholic church, maybe went to a Greek Orthodox church. If you've ever visited a Coptic church or, or ever been to an Armenian church, you know that they, they use this part of, as their senses of the smell, this, this idea of incense. So this week, I got on the phone and I called uh, Father Michael uh, Turvo, who is the father of St. Sophia's Greek Orthodox Church here in town over on Sunset. And I asked if I could just talk with him about their use of incense in their services. I got a picture. Here's Father Michael and, and his censer with the bells and, and the incense. I asked if I could borrow that this weekend. But he needed it for his services, so he said no. So we talked, and it was fascinating hearing about their use of incense in every one of their services. And while I couldn't use his censer, he did send me back with some of his charcoal and some of his incense. So I thought that we would do this a little bit today, kind of something new for us maybe. And it gives me an opportunity to play with fire in church, which is really a fun thing. So um, hopefully we don't set off uh, any kind of smoke alarms. So we're, today we're going we're gonna to have a little incense in our service, and uh, we'll see how, how this goes. He gave me the small little charcoals because he doesn't think I preach very long. <laughs> He's wrong. <laughs> so I'll go longer than this last, trust me. And those of you who are sensitive, you may want to get up and leave <laughs> to that side. The smoke blows this direction. So today what I want us to do, I want us to go on a little bit of a journey with this frankincense deal. And our journey that we're going to go on today is going to take us all over Scripture. We're going to start with the oldest book in the Bible. We're going to go through, clear through to the last book of the Bible and everywhere in between. What I want to do is give you the backstory of frankincense, and I want to give you the backstory behind the backstory. So there's a lot of backstory. Then I want to talk about the significance of frankincense being a gift that was given to Jesus, and then I want to land on how that impacts us and what that does for us. Are you with me on that? Okay, because there's going to be a lot of loose ends. Hopefully at the end it'll all tie together. We will see about that. So when you're talking about frankincense, and especially in Scripture, while it's not exclusively, most often frankincense was used in the context of priest, a priest and a mediator. Now for some of you, you hear frankincense, Jesus, priest and mediator, and you already start connecting the dots. Can you guys see me over there? <laughs> all right. This is no, you don't get to sleep because I can still see you through the smoke. So you, you got this priest and mediator, and some of you are like, oh, okay, I see where this is going. Some of you may not yet. Hopefully by the end you will. Let me give you a little bit of the backstory behind the backstory. Go to the oldest book in the Bible, 
And this is fascinating to me. A couple of months ago, uh, Jared, who is on our tech team, he pointed this out to me, and I thought, wow, I'd never seen this, this, this insight in the book of Job. And I thought, that is so good. I, I have to use that in a sermon somewhere. Job is seen as the oldest book in the Bible, that it predates the Pentateuch. Moses is given the authorship of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Job predates that. Some would say 3,000 years before Christ. Some would say 4,000 years before Christ. There's all kinds of theories on that. Many of you are familiar with the story of Job. Job was a godly man. He encountered unbelievable loss, suffering, pain in his life. And in the midst of all this hardship of life, three friends come to visit him. There's Eliphaz, um, there's Zophar, and then there's a guy named Bildad. And uh, Professor Burke says Bildad is the shortest man in the Bible, shorter even than Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, because it says it was Bildad the Shuhite. So short man, Bildad. So uh, they're coming and they're talking with, with Job about all of this that's going on. Bildad says to him, you must have sinned greatly for God to do this. And Job holds on to these facts. He says, I have not sinned greatly. I am innocent, but God is good. And he's confused about why all this would happen in his life. He's frustrated because he'd like to talk to God about it, but he realizes he's God and he is not. I mean, God is God and he is not. That God is omnipotent and he is weak. God is a creator. He's the creator one. God is infinite and he is finite. So that even if he could talk with God, he would probably be destroyed. So in this conversation with Bildad, he says this. This is, this is fascinating. Job chapter 9. He, God, God is not a man like me that I might answer him. That we might confront each other in court. If only. This is so cool. This is like his, his grown-up Christmas wish list. If only. If only there were someone to arbitrate between us, to lay his hand upon us both. There's this gap, there's this chasm of who God is and who I am. And if only there was someone to go between us, some arbiter, some mediator, someone who could represent God and represent man. You see where this is all going, huh? This is like maybe three, 4,000 years before Christ. And he's got this, this picture, this dream of what if? What if there was someone to stand between God and man? And then it goes even beyond there, and it gets even more cool. He says, someone to arbitrate between us, to lay his hand upon both of us, someone to remove God's rod from me, to remove God's wrath, to remove God's judgment, to remove uh, the penalty of sin so that his terror would frighten me no more. That if there was someone that could stand between us and take the wrath of God away and and take the fear away so that we can have this relationship. You, you see where, where this could be pointing towards Jesus. Now, this is really, really cool. Hold on to that because we're going to come back to that. But this is the oldest book in the Bible. Oh, we're running low here. Hold on. Someone's crying about it. I'm getting some. Hold on. Mm. Okay, so don't want to let that go out, right? What are we talking about? Okay, hold on. I'm up here, and I, I got to tell you, if this is a creative sermon, whew, I've got the munchies. All right, so um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bad joke. I get back on track. Hold that thought. Okay, so now there's this gap. Now you fast forward, and Moses comes along. 
And Moses has this special dispensation of grace from God because Moses has this ability, God has given him this, this capacity to talk with God. And it says in Exodus uh, 33, I think verse 11 or 12, that God talks with Moses face to face as a man would talk to his friend. So they have this thing, but no one else gets this. And there's this gap. And so God puts, puts in place kind of a stopgap measure for this, this separation. And this is what he says in Exodus chapter 28 to Moses. He says to him, have Aaron, your brother, brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons. Now, one of his sons is a dancer. Call him Nadab. He does that little dancing move. The other one, knock, knock. Okay, knock, knock. Abby. That's his second son. All right, so he's got a dancer, and he's got this, this knock-knock son. Then he got Eleazar, and then the one with the lisp, Ithamar. All right. So he says, bring them so they may serve me as priests. This is the first time that there's a mention of priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. So he says, go to your brother, set him up as the high priest, give him these vestments that set him apart, and put his sons as priests as well. As we've talked about many, many times, the priest would stand and go to God on the people's behalf. It was this stopgap measure of what Job had dreamed about, that there would be someone who could go between them. So God puts into play this whole thing of a priest. And one of the duties of the priest was seen uh, in the next, or two chapters later, in Exodus chapter 30, when it says, Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight. So incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. So you follow the Lord's instruction that every morning Aaron goes in and he burns some incense. Every night he burns some incense. And this needs to go on for generations. All right. Fast forward now, 1,400 years later. 1,400 years later, we're in Jerusalem. There's an old guy named Zechariah. His wife's name is Elizabeth. Here's a little quiz for you. They will become the parents of? Of John the Baptist. They're not parents yet. They're older in life. And Zechariah is now a priest. This is 14 years after God instructs Aaron and Moses to do this. You find this in Luke chapter 1. When Zechariah's division was on duty, that meant his group twice a year would go to the temple and serve. All these different groups would go twice a year. This was one of his duty year, uh, times. He was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, and this is such a cool picture, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So Zachariah is in, in the temple, and he's burning incense, and outside all the people are praying, and their prayers are going up. And it's in this time, in this, in this event, when he's in burning incense, that the angel appears to him and uh, tells him they're going to have a son, John the Baptist. Now, it wasn't just any incense that they would burn. So now that's all the backstory behind the backstory. Because again, in Exodus chapter 30, God gave some very specific instructions and details about this incense. The Lord said to Moses, take the fragrant spices, gum, resin, onicha, and galbanum, and here we go, and pure frankincense. Now we're starting to connect it a little bit. And pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. In fact, God would say, this recipe 
is not to be used for anything else. Don't use it at home. Don't use it for personal things. Don't use it for any other sacrifices. This is holy to the Lord. This is only, and it's sacred. And this burning of the incense was a very, very sacred responsibility. Only the priest could do it. No one else could. And even the priest should not do it in an unworthy or an unqualified manner. They shouldn't do it in an inaccurate way other than how God had prescribed. And the problem is that, we're running a little bit low here. Sorry. Give me just a second. The problem is that two of Aaron's sons, the dancer, what was his name? Nadab. And knock-knock boy, Abby who? They found out the hard way. Leviticus says this. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Abihu, however you say that, took their censers, remember they're priests, they put fire in them, and they added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his commandment. Bad idea. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now, what exactly this means, I'm not entirely sure. But it probably means they took some sort of a shortcut. They gave some sort of uh, something common and ordinary and, and gave it to that which should have been sacred. Something that didn't cost them as much. Something that would, would be maybe leftovers or a lesser uh, sacrifice. Whatever it was, God says, you've done it wrong, and they paid. Maybe this is where we get the idea that God is an all-consuming fire. And it seems like this would bring about great fear and great terror that God is this vengeful, judgmental, angry God. But the reality is this. It shows the sacredness and the holiness of our great God. And all throughout Scripture, when you see the priest burning incense, most often it is associated with God's initiative. It's associated with God making the pursuit with God seeking to reconcile his people to himself. Not him to his people, his people to himself. He had said, I will be your God and you will be my people. He said to them, I will dwell right among you. And even while Israel has this propensity for rebellion, for disobedience, for a stubborn, hardened heart, for wayward wanderings, God continues to go after them. He continues to pursue them. He continues to run toward them. He continues to seek to reconcile the relationship, to rebuild the relationship, to bring them back to himself. And the the incense was all a part of this. And you see this over and over again. I mean, when when the Israelites are in the wilderness for 40 years, how they camp, the, the 12 tribes, how they camp is given very specific instructions. And in the middle is a tabernacle. And even that, you see this, it's God making the initiative to be with them. In, in Exodus chapter uh, 30, it says, grind some of, uh, of the, the incense to powder and place it in front of the testimony in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. That even where you dwell, he said, there will be a place where I will meet with you. I will come after you. I'm pursuing you. That's the heart of God all the way through Scripture, Old and New Testament, into our lives. He is the one that makes the initiative. He is the one that pursues us. And then, once a year, on the most holy day in the whole uh, Jewish calendar, on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, when the, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and there he would, he would make atonement for the sins of the nation so they could be in a right relationship with the Father, with God. Even on that, he says this. 
he is to take, the high priest is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain, the Holy of Holies. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony so that he will not die. As we've talked about before, it was a frightful thing to go into the Holy of Holies, to see the Ark of the Covenant, to be there and where the Bema seat, the mercy seat, where God's presence dwelt. And even here you see this God giving a way of protection and provision, not just for Israel and for their sins, but for the high priest that was going in there to protect him. Now one more little piece on this backstory is that in Numbers chapter 16, there's a guy, uh, some of you may remember a month or two ago when I talked about the sons of Korah briefly. Their great, 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 great grandpappy, Korah, led a rebellion. And, and they took a bunch of people with them, most of, the, most of the Israelites with them. And God, while he is patient and gracious and loving and kind, he said, you know, enough is enough. There's got to be an end to this. On this one, he says, you've pushed too far, and there's a consequence to your choices, there's a consequence to your sin, and there's a curse that comes. Here's what's amazing. In response, while these people have rebelled from God, while they have sinned, and there's a curse, Moses and Aaron do something. Number 16. Then Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put incense in it, along with fire from the altar, and hurry, hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people. Watch this. But Aaron, who's the high priest, Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. Does that sound vaguely familiar about something that might happen later? With another high priest that might come, might make a sacrifice for the atonement, might stand, might hang between the living and the dead so that the curse could be taken away? Do you see how it all points to Jesus? The whole thing was, was this, this stopgap measure that would be the foreshadowing that points to Jesus. Now, that's the backstory. You ready to start the sermon? <laughs> the whole thing, this whole thing that God has given is this, this stopgap measure, and it's, a, it's an imperfect and transient system. Imperfect and transient in that it has to be repeated day after day, morning after morning, night after night, year after year, generation after generation, century after century, millennia after millennia, 1,400 years, and then this baby is born, and the Magi bring frankincense. Now you start seeing some of this picture of how this comes. Now the stopgap measure that's all been pointing towards Jesus is going to be fulfilled. Now we jump to Hebrews chapter 7, and it says, because of this oath that God is, is, is faithful, cannot lie, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant, a better system, one that's not stopgap, one that's not imperfect, one that's not transient. He's become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives, bless you, by the way, he always lives to intercede for them. This is very, very cool. You see this all throughout the Old Testament. Now Jesus always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need. 
one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. What was imperfect now becomes perfect in Jesus. What was transient now becomes permanent. What was daily, what was annual, now becomes final. That Jesus becomes this high priest who doesn't have to go and burn incense every day. He lifts up our prayer. He intercedes for us constantly. And not only is he this great high priest, the final great high priest, but as this this frankincense is brought and laid before him as a baby, it points to him being that final great high priest. But there's another piece. This wasn't just a random gift that some king says, hey, I've got frankincense, I'll give that. There's such deep significance because not only would he be the high priest, but Jesus himself would be this offering. Jesus himself would be the frankincense. He would be. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And we'll get into this more next week when we talk about myrrh. But Jesus is not only the great high priest, the final high priest, the fulfillment of all that was pointing to him. He's the fragrant offering that goes up before God. Now let's go back to this, this wish list that Job has. When Job says, if only, if only there were someone to arbitrate between us, to lay his hand upon us both, someone to stand in that gap and to remove God's rod, to remove his wrath, to remove the judgment, to, rem- to remove the punishment, to remove the fear for, for me so that his terror would frighten me no more. He's saying, if only that could be. And Jesus comes along and he is that. In 1 John we read in 1 John chapter 4, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now again, we'll get into this more next week, but because of what Jesus does, this atoning sacrifice, that God's wrath is satisfied. That's propitiation. We talked about that a couple years ago in the Big Word series. That God's wrath is satisfied. That our guilt is taken away. That's expiation. Our guilt is removed. And there's atonement. That our relationship is rebuilt. There's reconciliation. We're made right with the, the Lord again because of what Christ has done for us. What an incredible picture of Jesus, not only as our high priest, but Jesus is the one who is the sacrifice. And because of what Christ has done, because of who Christ is, that now you and I, we can live Job's dream. That we get to experience what he was saying, if only, if only, if only, we get to live that. That gets to be the reality that we experience every single day. That there is one who came and stood between. There is one who takes away. And our sin had separated us from God, where there was this chasm, where there was this gap, that Jesus comes as the great high priest, the final high priest, and the final sacrifice, and he bridges that gap so that the terror and the fear is taken away. Back to Hebrews chapter 4 this time. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. So good here. Let us then, because of that, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
that we come in our time of need, that we can approach God not when we work really, really hard to get rid of everything and all the sin and all the guilt in our life. No, he says we come in our time of need, in our fallenness, in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, in our guilt, in our mistakes. We come wretched sinners before our God. And when we do, we don't find judgment and condemnation. We find grace and mercy. And we don't cower in fear. We come with confidence, not because of who we, who we are or what we've done but because of who Jesus is and what he's done. He is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. And because of that, he stands in the gap. And now we have absolute access into the very presence of God. What an incredible picture this is. What a, what a gift that has been given to us that we get to have all of that. And as this frankincense is brought to this baby Jesus, it's not only a fulfillment of all that has happened, even from Job's wishes three, 4,000 years before, Aaron and Moses 1,400 years before, Zechariah and all the other priests that have gone before. It's a fulfillment of all that, but it also is a picture of something that will be reflected in our lives. So 90 years later, the old John the Apostle, who's been banished to the island of Patmos, he has this vision of heaven, and he writes the book of Revelation, a lot of imagery and, and symbolism and, and, and things that are sometimes confusing. But in the book of Revelation, he sees this picture. It says, there are four living creatures, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That as he sees these people holding these bowls of incense, it's the prayers of the saints that are going up before the Lord. Now let's get really, really practical here. Because we've seen the backstory, We've seen the significance of what it means with Jesus. But what about for you and I? See, if you're a follower after Christ today, if you've received his forgiveness, if you understand his grace, if you've been given a new life, it's only because of two things. One, first and primarily, what Jesus did on the cross for you, but also because someone prayed for you. Someone prayed for you. It may have been your spouse. It may have been your parents. It may have been your grandparents. It may have been some family member. It might have been a coach, a young life leader, a youth group leader. It might have been a coworker, a friend, a neighbor. Someone prayed for you. And those prayers were like incense that went up before the throne of grace. And when you begin to understand that someone prayed for you, that your eyes would be open to see the truth, that your ears would be receptive to hear and to know what is right, what God's word says, that your heart would be softened to receive and, and to be humble enough to, to recognize, I can't do this on my own, and that your life would be trans, transformed. Someone prayed for you, and your life is changed. And now in all of this, we bring this home in trying to understand my part. In, in all of this, what does this mean for me? Because we've seen how Job longed for this, how God put it into place in an imperfect way through Moses and Aaron all the way through for 1,400 years, how it's fulfilled in Jesus. But what about now? It continues on. We don't have to have someone stand between us and God. We have direct access with confidence into the throne of grace. But here's the thing I really want you to grasp on this one today. Is that Christ's work of redemption, and while he is the final high priest, 
He invites us. He calls us. He instructs us to join him in this priestly role of standing in the gap on behalf of others. In 1 Peter uh, chapter one, uh, 2, verse 5, it says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is what's referred to as the priesthood of all believers. That if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been redeemed by his grace, if you've received his forgiveness, if you've been given new life, you are now seen as a priest, one that, that has direct access to God, and one who stands in the gap on behalf of fallen uh, people who have not yet found that grace of a world that is longing for hope and for love and for forgiveness and to be free from their guilt. We stand in that place, and now we make sacrifices not of bulls and rams and lambs and burnt uh, offerings of like uh, incense, but it's our prayers that we pray. And Paul writes to the, the church in Corinth and he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. That our lives we become the incense as well. That our prayers go up to God and our lives as the, those who've been redeemed by Christ spread this fragrance. And people say, that is the beauty of Jesus Christ. All right. Now let's get extremely practical in the application. Some of you were here in early September when I gave uh, my reflections on 30 years as a part of Cornwall Church. And one of the things that, that I mentioned is that we aren't the praying church today that we used to be. And that that needed to change. And since that time, our elders and our pastor and our staff and our small group leaders have just said, we need to change that. There's some a greater emphasis on prayer, that we need, to, we need to push hard on that. And there's some things that, like it says in Revelation, go back and do the things you did at first. So this Wednesday, just a couple days from now, we're going to do a 12-hour prayer vigil here at the church. From 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. in one-hour segments, there will be people gathered here to pray. And each hour will be led by a pastor or a small group leader or an elder or one of our staff. And for an hour to just pick an hour to come and pray. To pray for, for what God is doing in our church. To pray that we would humble ourselves and become people of prayer. To pray that God's spirit would move throughout our community during this Advent season, as, as Ron prayed for us this morning already. To pray for what God wants to do in this room two weeks from today. Now, I don't, I don't want to embarrass anybody Jennifer here on the front row is one of the people who came on a Christmas Eve and gave her heart to the Lord. And her life is radically transformed. She's changed by the power of Jesus Christ. And we are going to pray that Jennifer's story is repeated again and again and again to the glory of God. So this week on Wednesday, if you can pick an hour, even if you can't stay for the whole hour, just show up and you say, well, I don't want to pray out loud. You don't have to pray out loud. 
The leader will guide you, give you some prayer prompts, maybe help you know how to pray, lead you through that, give a devotional, maybe sing a song, maybe not, but to come and be a part of that. And for 12 hours, we are just going to join together and let our prayers go up like a fragrant offering, like this incense that has been going up for thousands of years. We're going to be praying that God does something incredible. So I want to challenge you. Choose one of those hours. Come here. Join together. And let's pray and ask God. Let's pray that Jesus, our final great high priest, the final sacrifice, will continue his work in the lives of men and women throughout our community and especially in our Christmas Eve services. All right, one more verse. It says this in First Peter again. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So what do you get a God who owns the whole world? Well, maybe you follow the example of the Magi. And before you present any gift, you'll worship. You declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So if you have lung capacity after all this smoke, we're going to close that way. I'm going to invite you to stand. Here's the irony. I thought about this last night because <laughs> I've been up here breathing this whole time. <laughs> the course of this song says, it's your breath in our lungs. <laughs> <I'm> going, <coughs> but we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise to our great high priest, Jesus.